Heaven, we have something interesting unfolding. Andreas Nota is going to take this penalty kick. What is going on? Could he possibly give the Pirates a chance? He could. He races up. He's being held back for now. Gets a running start with his right foot. And it's in! Andreas Nota gives the Pirates a 7-6 lead. And that will do it! Andreas Nota, goal! The Pirates win! Who would have thought the goalkeeper would get it done? And they move on to the Elite Eight Monday against Indiana at 5 p.m. Eastern. I cannot believe what I just witnessed. This is crazy. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Pirate Rewind presented by WSU Sports. My name is Jonathan Height and I'll be your host for today's special episode that will be breaking down and remembering one of the greatest Seton Hall Athletics postseason runs in program history, last year's men's soccer NCAA tournament campaign. To help me talk about everything from this team, I am joined today by my electric panel of Jimmy Bliss and Danny Lemoyne. So guys, before we really get into it, how are you all doing today? Doing great, Jonathan. Had a very good day, and we're doing the thing that I love most, and we're talking about some soccer. So I could not be more excited for the next 45 minutes to an hour that we're going to bring to you. Yeah, same here. Definitely just fun to talk about such a uh, great team that gave us so many memories last season and are going to continue to give us memories this upcoming season in the fall. Yeah, 100%, Danny. Both of your guys, what you said, I know it's just been – it felt like it just was yesterday when all this went down and then all of a sudden it's the summer and the soccer schedule got released yesterday for next season. So we're ready in 2021, 2022 mode. So just a lot to talk about, but before we even talk about the NCAA tournament, there's two big questions I want to get into one about obviously the big East tournament, which uh, preceded it. And then just about our roles in general that we like what we experienced throughout the entire run as, you know, media members, member of the station PSN. So guys, my first question to you is, just think of some games throughout the year, because obviously we're, all three of us are very heavily involved in the media outlets on campus. Just pick a couple of games off the top of your mind of stuff that you either commentated, you were on the field for, you know, just stuff that you remember being heavily involved in and just describe like what are some of your experiences with that were. Yeah, so I was on the WSU sports call for a few games and two that I want to highlight for sure for being on the call was the big the big east championship game between you know georgetown and seton hall i was alongside my good friend ryan johnson we were able to witness history and then i was also color commentary for the 2-1 win against providence with my good friend ronnie castaneda as well but i was also involved with ptv i covered the 1-1 draw between georgetown and seton hall at ont carroll field with louis pasquale so I was pretty involved this year. I was also involved with the tournament run. I was in studio with Wilner Lewis for the Virginia Tech game. So I was heavily involved in this season. So I'm really excited to talk about what I saw. Yeah, kind of bouncing off of what Jimmy said, um, I got involved with this team. Obviously, everyone kind of gets a little more involved when the team starts winning. And that's definitely what happened. Kind of started opening up eyes around campus saying like, wow, they're legit. Like they're going to make a run this year. So I got involved. Um, the one, one tie at ONT Carroll field that Jimmy alluded to against Georgetown. That was really like the first big game where like, that was when COVID was beginning to kind of dwindle down where fans were coming out and it was like more crowded than the normal fan bases that we were getting this year due to restrictions. And that was like a really electric game. Like obviously two great teams that they knew they were going to face each other again in postseason. Um, so I got involved there as the videographer there for Seton Hall Athletics and then helped out with a home UConn game. And then down the stretch, I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to travel with the team, not only to the Big East tournament, but also the NCAA tournament. So the Big East tournament down in DC was awesome. Georgetown hosted it at their field, which is, a really great just host spot for um, Big East soccer because obviously they're one of the powerhouses of the conference. Um, some great games took place there, again, to know the guys and then being able to travel down to North Carolina, both Charlotte and Raleigh, working with the guys, video, photo, graphic design, video editing, you name it, kind of just working alongside them, telling their story, kind of getting behind the scenes, looks at things, showing their personal sides as well as them on the field 
kind of just capturing everything that you're kind of seeing with like the Milwaukee Bucks right now. Like it's not all about what's necessarily happens on the field or on the court or whatever it may be during a championship run, but everything that goes along with it. And for this team, it was so special this year. I just have to say before I even get into my experiences that both of you just put out just amazing content for whatever you guys ended up doing. I'll start with you, Jimmy. Some of your commentaries, I remember, because obviously I'm going to get into my beat reporting for that Georgetown game when you and Ryan was, it was electric. I was like listening to it and it just made me even more excited. I was writing my recaps at the same time. So I couldn't help with that. And then of course the end studio with you and Wilner's class is always going to be a classic. And then with you, Danny, the content that you put out when you were down there for the NCAA tournament, like I always say like you should be hired by like some professional sports team, social media department. Like you said, like this Pirates team was not expected to be in this position they were last year whatsoever coming into the preseason and they just did above and beyond. But like you said, I remember when you made like highlight reels of them just visiting Washington DC and, and just things like that. And it was so entertaining and it just made for great content, but definitely both you guys are definitely great people to talk about for this whole team. But for me personally, for me, obviously it was a tough year with COVID to begin with. I got to be on the call one or two times. I was the color commentator, excuse me, color commentator for the home last game of the season with Michael Daly. That was probably one of my most fun experiences just seeing the home crowd and people standing on like the parking deck and everything. And that was their last home game and last home win of the season. And for me, I got to beat report basically almost every game we talked about today. We're going to talk about today, the Marquette and Georgetown games, and then uh, the Indiana game, which is an unfortunate loss, but it was just made for just you know, a great time and definitely stuff that we'll always remember forever, which we'll get into you know, a little bit later in the show. But now that we've kind of reminisced and pat ourselves on the back for the work we put in, let's talk about the work that the soccer team definitely put in last season. And let's talk about the Big East tournament run. Again, they won their first championship for the first time since 1991. They just shattered records. The, you know, we had so, so many stars come out, so many storylines and everything. So let's just go game by game. Obviously, there was only two because of the, the, the divisions and how there was only four teams to begin with in this tournament. But let's start with the Marquette game, which if you guys remember, was more of a kind of like a, I'm going to say a blowout win, but the offense really stepped up and it was arguably the best offensive game that they had the entire season. It was a four to one win. You know, we saw goals by Maurice Williams had two, Matias Sundell had one, and then CJ Tibling, who had like every big goal ever throughout the run. So I'll start with you, Danny. So for this game, when you were watching it, whenever you were doing with it, what was just your favorite moment that you will always take away from this one as it was their first Big East tournament win in a very long time? Yeah, it's kind of funny that one of the moments isn't necessarily one of the goals or one of the saves that Nota came up with, but more of a celebration. So Maurice Williams' uh, celebration after he scored his first goal was just absolutely amazing. He kind of uh, dialed in a phone, pointed over to the bench, and really just got the team pumped up. And that was like an awesome moment. That was when it was two to one, I want to say. Uh, two nothing was the uh, score when he scored that goal, and it was just Terrific to see really like the bench lift up and like the first goal I thought was kind of like almost a surprise kind of people sat there and was like, okay, that really just happened because it was so early in the game. Both teams are kind of feeling each other out. And then Sundell with that amazing left foot from outside the box, but Mo Williams celebration really just lifted up the team, got everyone excited and kind of uh, got everyone excited for this run because they said, okay, the Pirates could score some goals. Clearly the superior team at that time to Marquette proved to be true the rest of the game. And that was just a really special moment for Maurice as well as the rest of the team. I'm going to piggyback off that, Danny. I'm going to say that it was both of Maurice Williams' goals. And what made those goals most important to me is he's a defender and he's just been so great all season long. And most of the time in the world of soccer, defenders don't get a lot of credit. So he was finally able to get all the credit that he deserved for having a fantastic regular season and a fantastic game against Marquette, fantastic games for the rest of the season onward against Georgetown, Virginia Tech, Air Force, and then against the last game against Indiana as well. So in the world of soccer, they really only get pat on the backs when they score goals or if they save a goal, depending on slide tackles or stand tackles or one-on-one -on -one defending. But to be able to see... Maurice Williams score not just one goal, but two goals and the biggest game of the season up to that point. It was really, really a special moment. And I could not be happier for a guy like Maurice Williams to come back home to South Orange and be able to play big 
not only all season long, but in the biggest game up to that point against Marquette. I think we all can agree that Maurice Williams was obviously the star of that game. And it was just so unique to see, like, like you said, Jimmy, like a, just a, a defender who's supposed to be just, you know, walking down um, on the opposite end of the pitch, right where Andreas Nota was most of the time. And then to see him really start scoring. And as we'll talk about in a little bit, like he just kept scoring and he almost became, I'll use a hockey analogy, like an offensive defenseman, you know, where him and James Booth developed such a good chemistry when offset pieces, when James Booth would just deliver it by the net. And it just always seemed like Maurice Williams was there. And you could just see like that, that partnership that they had throughout most of this, most of both of their uh, postseason runs. It was just so great to watch. And that game, I have to agree off both of you guys, just seeing Maurice Williams, that phone celebration. If I think of one celebration out of the entire Seen Hall men's soccer season last year, I think it has to be that. I still have that clip etched into my mind, especially you, Danny, when you made the whole highlight package of that. I'll never forget that, what he did right after that goal. And it just was like the theme of, I feel like, the rest of the season. So it was just so great to watch. But now let's move on to the game that, again, put the entire country on notice, being the defending national champions, Georgetown Hoyas, not in a neutral site at on their own field, Shawfield at Georgetown. It was just so amazing that they were able to do this. And like I said, it was, you know, decades in the making. So, Jimmy, let me start with you since you were actually on call for that game. And I'm sure you and Mr. Ryan Johnston were just gleaming the entire time. Like, imagine your faces just watching it all happen. So let me start with you. What was your favorite moment from that game? I know that's kind of a loaded question. But let's start with you. There were so many good moments in that game, but the one that I have to go to first was the first goal of the game. That's Camille Carecci scoring in the 16th minute. That really set the tone for not only Seton Hall, but also for Georgetown that, hey, this is going to be a really, really good game. This is going to be a tough, gritty game. And Seton Hall was able to get on the front foot. They were able to put the ball in the back of the net first. And from that point forward, Georgetown had to chase the game. And they did eventually get that equalizer, but then the goal that CJ Teeling scored to win them the championship, that was also a great moment. But I would have to go with that first goal. It was Carici. He's not someone that gets on the score sheet too often, but he really has a big impact on the outcomes of games, especially this past season. So they really put the entire country on notice. And Camille Carici just on that counterattack with that sweet left foot of his, went to the far post, able to slot it home able to put the Pirates up 1-0 and really set the tone for the rest of the game. Yeah, I definitely agree there. Karatsi's goal assisted by CJ Tiedlin, that was like a really great start for the Pirates. To get that first goal on the board is huge, especially playing at that away site at Shawfield in Georgetown. And then what I have to go to is obviously after the CJ Tiedlin goal, the big penalty kick save by Andreas Nota after the uh, penalty in the box by Luka Don. Backs against the wall, about 15, 20 minutes left in that game. Nota needs to come up big for that team, and that's exactly what he did. Guessed right on one of the best players in the Big East in the country, in um, Dante, I'm drawing on his last name, on Georgetown. And it was just a terrific save by Andreas Nota. Really just rose to the occasion. That's exactly what he need. Yeah, Dante Povara, one of the best players plays in the NYCFC Academy has a bright future in soccer and Andreas Nota just knowing exactly which way he was going, getting a strong hand on it. And then what was even better was the secondary saves afterwards because that rebound goes out to the right side of the box, kind of gets deflected a bunch and there's still no clear decisive evidence that Nota exactly saved the second one. But I, I've looked at it multiple times and he got a hand on the second one on the goal line of a little deflection tapping after that PK save. So that moment to kind of come up huge for his team when it's needed most. I, after he saved that, I said, there's no way they lose this game right now because that was the deciding factor right there. He set the tone in the rest of the game and he said, we're going to coast to victory now. Yeah, I remember being in the, the post-game Zoom after that one, after they won the championship and listening to him talk about it. It was like, he said it was like a feeling he had never had before and just the adrenaline of it because obviously it's a whole different feeling when you're scoring a goal, but to be able to stop a goal. And like you said, Danny, from one of the best players in the country is just one, one of a kind kind of feeling. And I think that was definitely, you know, the game changer, obviously, how the end of the, the rest of the championship ended up panning out. And just seeing the rise of starting for Andreas Nota where, Obviously, everyone knew how good of a player he was going into the Big East tournament. 
but then he just became a superstar, you know, obviously in the, the tournament itself. And then once he got to Mark, the NCAA tournament, it was just a whole nother, you know, ceiling for him. And it was certainly remarkable to watch. So just one more quick question before we even, again, do the NCAA tournament. Let's just think about all the players we just talked about. Obviously there's so many names and again, again this is our own opinions and just from like our, just our own, from our own sides of it, pick one player out of, you know, again, the whole CN Hall roster out of both games, who was your favorite player to watch during it? I'll start this one off. And everybody that knows me knows that I have a special feeling toward James Boot. I think he is the best player on the team. And he doesn't get a lot of recognition because he doesn't get on the score sheet, but he had nine assists last season, all from set pieces. He's like a set piece king. He just knows where to put the ball. And the ball's like a magnet to the heads of Luka Don, to Ruhi Jarvi, to Maurice Williams. He knows where to put the ball to give his big guys a chance to head the ball into the back of the net. He's just a fantastic player. He does everything absolutely electrically. And I'm really excited to see what he can do next year in his junior season. Yeah, Boot is an amazing midfielder. Just wicked great crosses on all of his um free kicks whatever it may be like he is just a playmaker out there for the team i'm gonna cheat a little on this one i'm gonna do a tandem as the players i looked at in the biggies tournament and that's the center back pairs between mo williams and luka don the two of them together is just untouchable for the pirates there was no question who was going to be back there every game for the pirates and they really showed it in the biggies tournament not only Maurice going forward and being able to score those goals off of free kicks and Luka Don obviously getting opportunities on those same free kicks, but really their defensive presence back there. It's just such a common presence in front of obviously the great goalkeeper that Andreas Nota is with that trio in the middle and the back, it's tough to break them down. And with Marquette, you saw them get one goal. It was kind of because the intensity wasn't fully there as the Pirates had basically already secured the victory so they were kind of sitting back a little bit on that one. So that goal, uh, get rid of that. But then you focus on the Georgetown game, one of the greatest attacks in the country, the defending champs, and to really shut them down and just give them fits. I mean, you have Maurice Williams, who's extremely aggressive going forward, winning head balls, really, really being that front um, guy to tackle. And then Luka Don being that common presence in the back, just clearing everything out, making sure everything's okay. And the way they work together and communicate with Andreas Nota in the back, that's when I really noticed like the two of them are terrific together and the Pirates are set with them back there. Alongside, obviously, their two other defenders, their wingbacks in Johannes Pex and Dennis Kalmendi, they're both terrific going up and down the field, helping on the wings. So that defense really stuck out to me in the Big East tournament. I absolutely love that you guys pick players that – I'm not going to say like there's an easy answer to this question because obviously what Andreas notes to CJ Tibbling and obviously the, the quote unquote stars like on the stat sheet that we always see for the pirates are always up there and rightfully so, but to pick players that again, were arguably underrated for most of the season and people honestly forgot about remember Jimmy with James boot being a snub, you know, for one of the all big East teams and everything, which I remember you commenting on one of their Instagrams and he actually, I remember think he liked your comment too. So obviously he rightfully agreed. And then, like you said, that center back pairing, I talked about that so much in all my preview articles of, you know, how Luca Don and Maurice Williams where, again, we talked about how great Andreas Nota was, but the, the, the defenders he had in front of him, I think was one of the best defensive fronts or backs, excuse me, in the entire country by a long shot of how well they played and how tight of a team they were, where if you made one mistake against the Pirates, like you said, if they got one goal ahead of you, it was, that was it. And like, that's how we ended up seeing in the postseason run. And they kind of cleaned that up from the regular season early on to how, like we saw at the end of the postseason, it was just night and day. But for me, just to go with a different answer, I'll pick CJ Teebling just because I've had so many great memories watching him like score those goals, obviously with the Georgetown being the game winner. Because of COVID, obviously for beat reporting, I wasn't able to be at the game. And I remember watching at home and watching it with my dad. But my dad is not a big soccer fan whatsoever. He used to coach youth soccer, but, you know, we just – he watched it with me because I was beat reporting it. And I remember when C.J. Tiebling scored that game-winning goal and just the, the look of excitement that we all had after that and just how exciting it was. I'll never forget that. And, it's, again, that's one of the memories that we'll keep talking about that will last us a lifetime. So always grateful for C.J. Tiebling for helping deliver a Big East championship for, for that. But now let's 
turn to the actual topic of this episode, which is the NCAA tournament run. And again, it might have fallen short, but there were so many, so many great moments attached to it. And we'll break down all of them for you here with WSU Sports. So let's start with the first round that they had, the first game they had, excuse me, because they had a bye against Air Force, and they ended up winning two to one. And with this game, we saw J.P. Marin and C.J. Teebling score. And again, C.J. Teebling had his second game winner in back-to-back games. And obviously this game was a bit, you know, tighter here and there down the stretch, I remember. And it was just, it was definitely unusual compared to some of the other games because the Marquette game, they were very in control. Even though the Georgetown game was so close, you could just see the Pirates just outplayed them that game. But this Air Force team was, you know, was kind of a stingy, you know, lower seated team that really wanted to knock off the Pirates who they knew was on a whole nother level this season. So that's kind of the impression I got from it. But guys, let's just go with you. What was your favorite moment from that game from start to finish? Yeah, so I'll start off with that. And I, I definitely agree with your analysis there. It's definitely like the weakest game for the Pirates in their postseason run, if you even can call it weak. Like, obviously, a 2-1 run. Anything to advance in the NCAA tournament is a solid victory. But definitely, they didn't play as strong as they want to, didn't come out as strong, and really, like, ex- like exert their dominance because they definitely were the better team compared to Air Force. Air Force did not have the firepower to compete with the Pirates, but kind of stuck around. And I think that... My favorite moment was the goal that Air Force scored. It kind of sounds funny to say, but that was like the moment that really put the Pirates like into perspective and be like, okay, we're tied 1-1 with this team that we know we should be beaten. Let's get that resilience. Let's put our backs against the wall and let's move forward with this. Let's really start attacking, put pressure on their backs. And that'll really benefit us because early on in the game and when that goal went in, they were still feeling each other out. Air Force was controlling a lot of the possession, which was very odd. You expected Seton Hall to really be carrying the ball forward a lot more than they were. A couple of great attacks from Air Force with some speedy guys up top were giving the Pirates fits. But as soon as that goal went in, the Pirates said, no, not today. We're not going home yet. We just got down to North Carolina. We want to stay here a bit. And they really moved forward. And obviously that fantastic finish from Tieblin put them ahead. And a lot of the times you'll hear coaches, managers alike say this, the first game in a title run is always the hardest because that's the one that's going to set the tone for you for the rest of the season or the rest of the cup run. And that's exactly what Seton Hall did. They had a very stingy first game against Air Force who were very reluctant to get broken down. They played very well defensively. Just like Danny said, they were able to have a lot of possession, which is something that Seton Hall has not conceded a lot of this year is a lot of possession. They were usually the attacking team, but they were on the back foot for much of this game, but able to get that 2-1 victory. My favorite moment has to be the CJ Tiebling goal, though, right there in the 89th minute at the death of the game. Just able to, of course, slot the ball home on his left foot and able to get it on SportsCenter top 10, actually. I believe it was number eight or number seven for the day. And he was able to just have everyone in my, my dorm room, me and my roommate, just erupt with just sheer enjoyment and excitement to see the, the ball go into the back of the net. It's just a beautiful thing to see the ball go into the back of the net with a sweet volley like that. It was just beautiful to watch. I'm so excited to see what CJ Tubman can do in his senior year. But that really set the tone for the rest of the season, that, that for the rest of the cup, excuse me that Seton Hall was able to, even without possession, they're able to play very well and they're able to nick a goal here and there that maybe they didn't build up perfectly to, but they were able to get away from the game and able to progress onto the round of 16 against uh, another very good team and, and Virginia Tech we're going to talk about in a little bit. But that, that was definitely my biggest takeaway was they're able to face adversity, overcome it, and come out of there with the win. Yeah, you guys both hit the nail on the head. And I think the best way we could describe it was sort of like a wake-up call because I still feel like they were in the honeymoon phases of winning the Big East Championship at some points, which rightfully so. They just accomplished a feat that hadn't happened, you know, in decades in program history. But you versed like a, a really resilient Air Force team that has absolutely nothing to lose. And then in the span of probably like a week and a half for the Pirates, they went from nothing to lose to everything to lose after winning the Big East Championship. So I think it was definitely, like you said, guys, a great test for them. It was a great first game, you know, looking back on it. Obviously, it was, like we said, it was the weaker performances that they've had, but it was just an, a, such an important game. And when we talk about the Virginia Tech game in just two minutes or so, of how important, like, to be resilient against a, 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 a weaker, I'll say, 
talent-wise, resilient team. It was just it just paid dividends for them by the end of it. And I guess my favorite moment from that game, I guess the easy answer again would be the CJT bling, the, the game winner again. But I just remember the whole atmosphere of that game. And I remember watching it and obviously just just really wondering if they were really going to get upset in like the first round at this point because they'd become such a favorite. And even a lot of analysts at that point were saying that the Pirates were going to be, you know, a sleeper to win the whole thing. Because if think about it, I, I remember even writing this in my recap article. If they could beat Georgetown, defending national champions, we thought they could have beat anybody at that point. And it was just, I remember the whole game, seeing how tight it was, how physical it was. We saw a different side of them, which I think was so important again for the rest of the postseason run. So we'll always, you know, remember that game as well. So now let's move on to probably the most exciting game, I guess we could say. I mean, besides this in the Georgetown game, I feel like I know we'll have our own opinions on it, but that Virginia Tech game, I was sweating bullets that entire time. And my room was air conditioned. I was still sweating bullets watching the end of that game. And it was, I know we'll, we'll all analyze our parts from that. But Danny, I just want to start with you because you were actually there. And I'm pretty sure you filmed the, the Andreas Nota celebration, right? Okay. So again, but for you that don't know at home, they were tied to Cian Hall Pirates and the Virginia Tech Hokies 2-2. Um, Mo Williams and Andrea Borg, I think, what his first goal of the year. They both scored. And again, Mo Williams, offensive defenseman, you know, stepping up again like all the Pirates did. And then, as you remember, in, in penalty kicks, they'd win 7-6. But Andreas Nota decided to take the game into his own hands and stop a shot, you know, two minutes before. And then he's like, I've had enough ends the game by drilling uh, a goal himself to send the Pirates to the Elite Eight. So, Danny, let me just start with you. Just, I think, we, I think we'll probably say what our favorite moment was, but just I want you, Danny, just to explain the whole atmosphere of the, the entire field had just throughout that whole game too as well. Yeah, that is definitely a game that I covered that I will never forget, and for obvious reasons. I mean, you start off, Virginia Tech gets the first goal. Pirates kind of sluggish in the first half. But then a big Maurice Williams goal just before halftime really gives them some life and like lets them back into the game a little bit because you go down one nothing at half, it's going to be hard to beat such a talented Hokies team. And then the same thing kind of happens in the second half. You have Virginia Tech take a 2-1 lead. At that point, that was probably my most nervous point out of all the games, whether that be the Big East tournament, whether that be the Air Force game, any of them, because that was when I was kind of like, can they – do this there you didn't really have much going forward Virginia Tech had a really good game plan of shutting down CJ Tiblin playing physical with them really getting him off the ball so he can't either face goal or play with his back to goal so they had a really good game plan but then I mean of course it's Andrea Borg who's been such a valuable piece to them all year finally getting that first goal on a little bit of a deflection off that corner by James Boot ultimately sending it to PKs and that was because extra time was so slow and like it felt like it took forever because nothing was really happening I don't think either team wanted to make the mistake that would obviously cost them the game so they both played kind of tentative getting them to PKs and then the emotions went on a kind of a roller coaster there as it was just back and forth and obviously the thrill of PKs really gets to you and the funny story with Andreas actually taking the final shot to win it for the Pirates is earlier that day for those who were following the NCAA tournament they saw Marshall defeat Clemson who's another top program in the country and obviously Marshall who eventually went on to win pulled a great victory against them and it was in PKs where you saw a goalkeeper go up and take the shot for Marshall and we were in the hotel watching that game having like the meal before everyone headed over to the uh, stadium. And Andreas said to coach Lindbergh kind of in a joking way, because you never really expect it to happen, but he's like, Oh, if we get put in that situation, like I'm taking the shot. And it just so happened that it occurred that way. I don't think anyone could have written it better. And when it was actually happening, I think it was, who's coming up for this shot. I, um, Mons was coming up for the shot. And Andres went out to him and was like, I really want the shot. And he gave it to him. He called his own shot. And then the rest is history. And just the pure joy of the team being able to celebrate afterwards. They were so humble throughout it all. And then to win and really express that joy and just victory of obviously advancing to 
the Elite Eight out of the Sweet 16. That was just such a terrific game, capped off by a terrific moment there, and one that they'll definitely never forget about and Pirate fans will be talking about for the next few decades. That's an awesome story, Danny. I didn't realize that you were in the hotel with Nota, and then he said that I'm going to take a penalty kick. We're in this situation. And lo and behold, a few hours later, he takes the penalty kick and probably the moment of the the entire program history right there with Andreas Nota saving the penalty kick and then going on to convert his own. You never, ever see goalies take penalty kicks unless they're forced to. But after he converted that penalty kick, just the sheer emotion, the joy. I mean, if I was Italy's manager, I would have called Andreas Nota up to the Euros right after that have been on the phone with his agent saying hey we're getting you over here we need you in net for a penalty kick shootout but anyway Andrea Borg is someone that I really want to highlight in this game because like Danny said he scored the equalizing goal in the 80th plus minute and he's actually one of my other favorite players on the team he's just he's such a valuable super sub and that's what you call it for the non-soccer people a super sub is someone that doesn't start in the starting 11 but they come off the bench and it's almost like a sixth man in basketball where you have a huge impact on the game. And Andrea Borg is just able to come off the bench, has elite dribbling skills, elite vision, elite crossing ability. He, he also can draw a lot of fouls, which is fantastic, especially when you have a guy like James Boot, who's able to put balls in perfect areas for Maurice Williams, for Luca Don, for Ricky Jarvie, guys like that that are taller and able to head the ball well. So Andrea Borg was a huge X factor this year, and he showed up in one of the biggest moments of the season with that equalizer, the scrappy goal, but we'll take it 10 times out of 10 and twice on Sundays. So apart from that, it was a really heart-pounding game. If we lost in penalty kicks, I would have been so heartbroken just because it's the best way to win, but the worst way to lose. And at that point, penalty kicks it's a game all about individuals and not about the team and someone that misses the penalty kick. They they're just heartbroken. They feel like they let the team down. It's terrible. It's awful. We saw that happen in the euros with England versus Italy, where a few England players missed their penalty kicks. And I thought the sky was falling. I thought it was the worst thing in the world. And it's just heartbreaking to see that. But when the penalty kick shootout started, I was confident at first, just like Danny said, when Andreas Nota saved the penalty kick against Georgetown, I knew that he was a very good keeper. But I'm always a little bit nervous because I've never seen Seton Hall take too many penalty kicks this year. And you never know what can happen in a penalty kick. Someone can get a little bit nervous. They could put the ball over the bar. They could not have a great penalty right down the middle, something like that. And especially when Camille Carici's penalty was saved the second one, I was a mess in the studio. You could just ask Wilner. The two of us were like breaking down. We were freaking out. We were like, oh no, we're going out now. But then the next penalty kick was saved. Andreas Noto was able to save that third penalty kick. And then it was equalized after that. Seton Hall was able to convert. And then 6-6, of course, Andreas Noto came up with a huge penalty kick save. And Andreas Noto then again stepped up and was able to slot the ball home into the back of the net and make sure that we progress into the quarterfinals of the 2021, 2021, 2020, whatever you want to call it, the, uh, the soccer tournament. So definitely one of the biggest moments in the history of this program. Honestly, I'm, I'd argue that it is the biggest moment in the history of this program because now we're just going to see more recruits flocking in. We're going to see a huge huge change in how this uh, program progresses in the future due to just this tournament run itself. Yeah, like you said, Jimmy, if the culture didn't change what Coach Lindbergh did with the team just as a whole, having his whole team be his own recruits, but just that one play alone, if you, you wouldn't want to play Seton Hall soccer after that and seeing like what, you know, like the end, end goal could be, I, I don't know, like, like what would be wrong, like remotely wrong would join the Pirates after this. I know you guys had so many great just things to, to, to unpack. I'll start with you, Jimmy. Andrea Borg, I think when we talk about the most underrated players, he's definitely up there. And I'm kind of backtracking a little bit from the one game I got to really commentate that the last game against UConn, I remember with Michael Daly, 
I just remember watching that game and calling that game. I said his name about 50 times, you know, because he was just all over the field, you know, obviously being a midfielder. And I just remember thinking in my head, is he ever going to score? Like, I remember he was so close, like four or five times. And throughout the whole postseason runs in, in, in either tournament, he was so close to scoring so many times. And I knew he was beyond due. And when he finally got it in that Virginia Tech game, it was just, it was so great to see. And I was so happy for him to finally see it happen. But I think it was so funny that you and Wilner were like basically having like nervous breakdowns during that. I can just, I remember when you guys did the show afterwards, I remember listening to it, but to actually be there like in studio before, I'm sure it was priceless. And then Danny, wow, that bombshell that I, me and Jimmy, and I'm sure no one at all ever knew that, that he actually, that Andreas Nota basically told Coach Lindbergh earlier in the day that if it happened to happen, that he would do it. Um, I thought that was more of a spur of the moment thing because Andreas Nota, we saw throughout the whole postseason run, was just the most courageous, arguably courageous player on the field, you know, just through everything. He just, he, he stood up to everything. You know, he exuded so much confidence and he was just so dominant. And just to see that happen, it was just certainly amazing. I remember just hearing from him, like, just how exciting he was. And I had just, I had no clue that even after the game that that was, I'm not going to say planned, but that it was still even a thought in his mind that day. You know, this is why I listened to Pirate Rewind, just for, for, points into stories like this um but for me for that game I guess I mean it's just there's so many great moments from that um the whole penalty the whole the whole PKs excuse me situation it was probably the most stressful moment of the season like we can all agree and I just remember watching it and I remember knowing that I was going to be report the Indiana game if, if they would have won and I was I sent so many prayers I was just beside myself that if they somehow lost in that and not being able to cover an elite eight game, I would have, you know, I've been obviously really upset, but, you know, just to be able to come out in the way they did and how legendary that was. And I have to agree with you, Jimmy, that was, I think the best moment in their program's history. And obviously we weren't around when they won all those championships, you know, in the eighties, but just this could be like, if, if they were like a more nationally, I guess, recognized team for soccer, like going into the season, this would have been all over all the, the media outlets. And I feel like it'd be so much more coverage. Because like, like you said, if you put this on like the Euro stage and someone had done that, it would be a story forever. And I feel like obviously for us, it's going to be a story forever at Scene Hall. But I'm certainly for the players as well. It will always, you know, remain in their minds. And when they're at, you know, reunions 20, 30 years from now, they're never going to forget that. And I'm sure Andreas will, you know, he's going to be smiling for the rest of his life, being able to make that save and score a goal right after. But obviously... The fun, unfortunately, had to come to an end in the next round, the Elite Eight against the Indiana Hoosiers. And I have a lot of opinions to say about this game because I remember B reporting it and just feeling so many emotions coming out of it. But again, it was their second time in the Elite Eight um, ever. It was their first time since 1988. And, okay, it was just so frustrating to watch this game just throughout because obviously they had the freak weather stoppage that – We'll get into, and I'll just say right away, if that stoppage didn't happen, this could have ended up completely different because Cian Hall and Indiana played so competitively against each other throughout the first whatever timestamp that the game ended up getting delayed and how close it was and how the Pirates were slowly gaining momentum, momentum. And then for the Hoosiers to immediately score a goal, I think it was by Ryan Wittenbrick or Wittenbrink, whatever his first name was, right after, I just knew that they were going to probably lose after that, just the momentum. No, Indiana was a national powerhouse. And to play them so tough, I will always, always wonder what that game would have been like if that weather stoppage didn't happen. Because just to see how the momentum shifts, because obviously soccer, like any sport, it's a game of momentum. If, you know, and especially in a game of this magnitude of going to, you know, the final four, it was just so many emotions running high. And I'm sure it was so difficult for them. And they're always going to want to get that back. But I'll start with, um, I'll start with you, Jimmy. My first question, before I even ask about your favorite moment of it is, just kind of what I've been bringing up without the weather stoppage, what do you think would have happened in this game? Would it have been the same or would have things been slightly different? Look, Jonathan, I'm Seton Hall till I die. I love this program. I love this school. I wear my heart on my sleeve. Seton Hall is my everything, but I don't think Seton Hall would have won this game against Indiana. I think Indiana, they were a powerhouse for a reason I thought that they were the best team going into the tournament in the beginning, and I picked them to win. They eventually lost in the championship, but I think that a team like Indiana, for those of you that don't know, they have eight 
national championship wins with their men's soccer program. They're like the Alabama of soccer. They're a complete powerhouse. They just generate talent every single year. And it's just incredible to see a program like this. It's like, it's like a factory machine. It's just someone comes in and then they polish their game up a little bit and they send them to the MLS and they're great. Or they send them overseas to the Premier League or to the Bundesliga or wherever they go and they're great. It, it's such like a wonderful thing to see, but when you're coming up against it, it's something else. Indiana, they didn't have their best game against Seton Hall. Maybe that's due to the weather delay as well. But they were just so clinical, and that's what won them the game. They only had three shots all game. Two of them ended up in the back of the net. Whereas Seton Hall, who had more possession, they had more shots, they dominated the game on paper, they weren't able to put the ball in the back of the net. And that's, that's what the difference was, is a, a great established team like Indiana, who's been together for so long, they're able to get these gritty results, grind out wins, even when they're not playing that well in bad conditions after a storm for 45 minutes, they were able to get the job done. Whereas a young Seton Hall team who has a great future ahead of them, this is just the beginning for them. And they weren't able to go toe to toe with Indiana and take them down like they were with Georgetown earlier in the season. It was just the end of the road. It was, it was almost like Seton Hall met their kryptonite and that kryptonite was an experienced well-dressed, just really, really, really dominant team in Indiana. Piggybacking off of what Jimmy said, this was basically as big of a David versus Goliath matchup you get in terms of program history. You have a Seton Hall program who obviously had down years since their last Big East championship and their last NCAA tournament runs, and you have a team that's in it every year and can potentially win their conference and win the national title every single year. So from that standpoint, it was definitely the, the cards were stacked up against Seton Hall, but that weather delay, it, it was really funny because like I was down filming near the Indiana bench and like all of a sudden I heard a couple of the Indiana bench players saying like, look like, look at the sky. And like, I like looked back and I was like, wow, like, that doesn't look too good. Like that doesn't look like soccer weather. And then out of nowhere, the freak storm happens. I want to say it was like 42nd or 43rd minute. You had like two or three minutes left in that first half, which was just like absurd because you were like, can we just get to halftime? Like the rain hadn't started until like basically halftime. I was like, we could have made it there, whatever case closed. And it was kind of weird because they agreed to 10 minutes on the clock for the players to kind of get warmed up again. At that time, the ball was not moving on the turf it was like very like just puddly and very slow you knew it was going to be a sloppy second half no matter what and then they added another 10 minutes on to what the 10 minute halftime decision was between two coaches and kind of people around the area were like why is this happening like kind of just get the game started like both teams kind of just because like I know our team went back on the bus and like obviously their legs were like a little cold going back sitting on the bus waiting out the weather and then they come out for those two three minutes whatever it was before halftime they score that goal and if you watch the video over and over Jake Barrett who was like a center defense uh central defensive mid for our team that came off the bench really solid defensive presence back there slips while defending the Indiana player and ultimately he gets one more step on him and it's a deflection goal that goes into the back of the net like slightly so it's like just a deflating goal from a big standpoint where they're like okay that really is tough because as Jimmy mentioned like they had three shots all game they had zero up until that weather delay Seton Hall was completely stifling them on the defensive end and Seton Hall also had a few chances between CJ Tiblin Dennis Kelmendi was getting upfield a lot Camille Karecki was really playing well for the Pirates so I lean towards yes that weather delay just killed the Pirates momentum because like not that they really had momentum where it looked like they were for sure going to win the game but they had momentum in the sense that they weren't going to let Indiana run over them and I think that favors in the underdog I'll call the Pirates the underdog because I guess historically they were in this matchup it favors the underdog the longer you can go and withhold the other team from scoring especially a team like Indiana 
I mean, they're so well coached because you look at their defense. I think they let up single digit goals all year long, similar to Stephen Hall. And then you look at their offense and they were one of the most electric offenses in the country. So you're talking about a team that could do it all. And then to have that momentum swing just really killed the pirates. And then obviously the second one going in, it just became near impossible. Like they started sending Luka Don up and some of the bigger players on the team, just getting inside the box, looking for any answer, but ultimately it wasn't enough. Yeah. I just, I, I, I agree with some of the points you made, Jimmy, that obviously we knew how established Indiana was, but like, I'm also at the same time, if they could beat Georgetown who were the defending national champions at, at that point, and just being able to like, you know, overcome those odds and finally win the Big East championship run. Obviously we knew Indiana was like, like a good analogy, the Alabama of the men's soccer programs around the country. But I'm also a big believer in teams of destiny. And after watching so many other sports that have like, I'll do hockey, like the Montreal Canadians and just teams that are just get hot at the red, at, excuse me, at the right time. And especially like I'll even do the hockey with soccer again. If you have a hot goal, a goalkeeper like Andreas Nota, I feel like anything is possible. And, do I think they necessarily could have won? Maybe, but I just think that they definitely had a good shot to win this game and it wasn't so much a disadvantage, but obviously we know how experienced Indiana was, which definitely played into their favor. But I think having that Air Force game early on and having you know some of those other gritty wins, the Pirates had some sense of that, but running into a train that ended up being Indiana, I know was definitely was definitely tough. But just having, like you said, the rain stoppage happen, I just feel like it just completely... You know, like, like I said, Daniel, like it was almost like a balloon deflated, you know, with, with their morale, I feel like just wondering if the game was going to even resume, excuse me. I remember watching it back at home and obviously the rest of the game, I remember the broadcast of watching it. There was like a thing, there was like a bubble on the lens. I remember it was so hard to watch because of how much it rained. And I remember watching John Fanta's tweets and seeing how like the field was a mess. Like you just said, like people were slipping and diving. It was like a slip and slide. And it was just so many things that just, it just seemed like it wasn't the Pirates day and rightfully so. But I took away from that game that like, like you said, Jimmy, of them being, you know, obviously a little bit inexperienced at that point, but having so much in the future that this could be, I'll use the analogy, like a kick in the pants now for going forward, that they've had their test of failure. And let's say, well, God willing and praying that next season, they're in a similar spot like this again, they've already been through the gauntlet. And like we've seen with like, I'll do the NBA, like seeing teams like the Bucks who have lost, you know, in the postseason and are finally making it to the top, that this could have been, you know, almost a good learning experience for the Pirates, that they, if they could get through, you know, this Indiana game that they had a good chance of winning, I don't know, throughout, but obviously Indiana was just a better team that day, that anything could be possible going forward, because obviously basically the whole team is returning next year, you know, so to say. But before I, I ask my last two questions or so, there's just one thing I want to kind of, this is more of a speculative question, and I just, I've been always wondering about this just because we saw Indiana lose later on to Marshall and how good of a team Marshall was. I just want to hear your guys' thoughts about it. If the Pirates were somehow to win this Indiana game, do you think they would have won all the way and why? I'll start this one out. And I think that if they were able to beat a team as good as Indiana, I think that Seton Hall could have won the championship. I think that with the remaining teams, they would probably be the best team on paper. They have everything that you need in a championship winning team. You have your fantastic goalie. You have a very good defense. You have a few very good midfielders that are, in, that are instrumental enough to win you games by themselves. And then you have your clinical finisher up top in CJ Tiebling. So you have those four key components that are huge for anyone in a cup run, whether it be professional soccer, like the Champions League, or whether it be and the NCAA soccer tournament. If you have, like you said, a hot goalie like Andreas Nota, and he's, he's not just a goalie between the sticks, but he's also a leader in the locker room. He's a leader on the field. He's always vocal. He's always barking out orders to everyone else. He's a fantastic presence to have on that field, off that field. CJ Tiebling, as a junior, he was one of the older guys on the team as well. Another great leader, another great vocal player so you have those two guys leading the charge along with all the other players if they're able to take down that indiana team when everything is stacked against them i think that seton hall would ever turn back home to south orange with that trophy and they would be crowd champions 
Yeah, some great points there by Jimmy. Definitely talking about all the necessary components to win in soccer. Seton Hall checked all the boxes. And I do think if they were able to beat Indiana, I do think they had a extremely good chance at winning it all. I mean, it was UNC, Pitt, and Marshall left in the field if they would have advanced. Pitt kind of fell off the end of the year because they had – lost to Clemson in the ACC championship, which like, that's not really falling off. Clemson's a great program, but Pitt ultimately wasn't as strong as they looked all year. They were number one for most of the season early on, kind of dwindled down. I wasn't too worried about them or UNC Marshall, who I'm not saying this because they won the championship, but being there and I um, watched the Marshall Georgetown game and I watched Marshall play and I was like, this is a team that can win it all just because they were so composed in the back. They really weren't an explosive offense. They didn't hold the ball too long against Georgetown, but they stopped you wherever you went. And then they went forward, scored their one goal, and that was all they needed. So I think, like Jimmy said, if you could beat a team like Indiana, there's no reason you can't beat anyone in the country. Marshall was kind of on one of those destiny runs too, like Jonathan kind of said, because they had beaten Clemson. They beat Georgetown. Those are two defending champions right there that are just well known to the soccer world and Marshall kind of coming out of nowhere too, similar to Seton Hall, kind of not a strong program history, new coach kind of trying to set the culture and look at them go. So I think Seton Hall and Marshall were the two favorites if they were to advance. I'm obviously going to lean Seton Hall because I saw what this team could do and I saw what they did all season long. And I was like, if they get past Indiana, they play Pitt, if you advance to the championship with all that momentum and just all that kind of swagger you get with each win, I think like Jimmy said, they would have been coming back champions. Yeah. You guys brought up some just great points overall. And I just feel like obviously it'll be something us as media members and, you know, fans, and then obviously the players and something to not, not necessarily regret, but just the fact if like, if it wasn't a weather stoppage and just anything in general, and we could always speculate about that, would they have gone all the way? Because like you said, a team like Marshall, where they were originally not expected to, you know, have the success they had, you know, beating the, you know, I think Clemson was the one seed, I believe, in the tournament. And then, you know, beating Georgetown as well. And obviously not having their years, um, like years past. Having a scene Hall Marshall potential national championship would have been pretty, pretty insane. Just for the fact that when you have usually like a David and Goliath team or a team that's, you know, a little bit better than the other, but to have two teams of destiny and see how that would pay out. I'm sure if Seton Hall got that far and then lost to Ed Marshall because they were just hotter or so to say, it would be just as devastating, but we'll always be wondering if what would happen if they beat the Hoosiers, you know, till, you know, forever. So definitely, definitely something disappointing that we'll always have, but the memories completely outweigh everything that's remotely negative that happened with the Seton Hall men's soccer team. And now let's just kind of, to wrap up things, we've talked about the Big East tournament you know, the legendary run and the NCAA tournament run that although it was only three rounds long, it just, like we said, so many memories that we'll never forget. So now my last two questions are just stuff about the, including the entire season and the two postseason runs. So let's do question number one, which is, again, these are two very loaded questions, but I think they're pretty easy because of the amount of exposure that we had to this team and how we fell in love with this team over the entire season and just how next year we're going to be just excited to watch them and Obviously, coming into last season, the expectations were just, you know, at the ground level for a team that was, you know, they're playing together, just a bunch of, you know, a bunch of new recruits by Andreas Lindbergh, Coach Andreas Lindbergh, and just to see them develop into this chemistry. And Andreas always said it, a brotherhood that they ended up establishing. So, again, my first question is, what is your favorite moment from the entire season? It could be. It could be like a moment where the Andreas notes is, you know, saving goal in the Virginia Tech game. It could be something in the regular season. It could just be anything. Just, I know it's a very loaded question, but just pick one. It could be one play, one anything that you'll never, ever, ever forget from this scene home and soccer running 2020 to 2021. I'm going to pick the easy answer here. And I'm going to say it's going to be that Andreas note to save and score in the penalty kick shooter against Virginia Tech. Like you mentioned before, Jonathan, that's something that we're going to remember forever. I'm sure the three of us will be telling our kids, we'll be telling our kids' kids that story of where we were when it happened, when Andreas Noto was able to save the penalty kick 
and then convert his own. And as a goalie, it really takes a lot of guts to go up there and take a penalty kick. Like you said, Jonathan, if that happened in any other stage with the Champions League or the Euros or the World Cup, it'd be all over everywhere. But it obviously wasn't that big of a stage, but still a huge stage to do that. I don't think I've ever seen a goalie do that on a big stage, step up and take a penalty kick. I'm sure Manuel Neuer has done it a few times, but not on a huge stage like like a knockout quarterfinal, round of 16 game, excuse me, to go into the quarterfinals. Without Andreas Nocha, this team would be a shell of itself. And I think that he really proved it in that game against Virginia Tech. And by that moment of stopping a penalty kick and then converting his own, it's really, really a thing that all stories can be made of. He just had one of the greatest moments, potentially one of the greatest sports moments of my life right there. Yeah, it really is hard to pick against Andreas Nota and everything that he accomplished that night. And just the pure, like, joy and celebration afterwards was terrific because, like, you could have ended the season there and crowned Seton Hall champions. No one would have cared. They could have left that tournament and everyone could have been happy just because that was such a special moment for this program. Obviously, going to the round of eight, you were hoping for more, but everything after that was basically, like, like a cherry on top, like beating Virginia Tech there was such a moment that like the program had never seen. And just the way they did it is like Jimmy said, like you don't see that on such a big stage. And for Andreas Nota, as uh, Coach Lindbergh said in the post-game conference, uh, he kept it PG. He said he has stones. And that, that shows a lot about his character as well as this team. All those guys who went up there to take a shot in PK's I mean, all the emotions going through your head, all the what ifs, what if I make this, what if I miss this, can I cost my team season? They pushed all that to the side, came together, won. And then the celebration afterwards, like I remember like, I was sitting there like, can I, can I go on the field now? Like, can I film them celebrating? Like, is this like real life? Like it was one of those like pinch me moments where you're like, okay, that just happened. Andreas Nota gets swarmed by his teammates and all the coaches like, I mentioned how Andreas said like he wanted that shot all on. I'm not sure if Coach Lindbergh necessarily had it planned out that way or wanted it to happen, but I think once he scored it, he was so happy for Andreas, so happy for the team. And Andreas did a great job of crediting the rest of his teammates as well and not putting the moment too much on him, just like he always does. And that's the great part about this team. They are the brotherhood, like you said, and for them to celebrate together afterwards, doing their chance, celebrating in the locker room is terrific. Yeah, I know. I think we can all, again, all three of us agree that that moment was just beyond legendary that we'll always talk about. And just the pure joy that it brought, not only just the players, like you said, us as being members, but just the entire scene hall community. And obviously it would have been even different because now that back then the COVID restrictions were a little bit different than they were now. If you know, more of us were on campus, if, you know, more of the, if everything was more normal, I'll say um, at, on campus, it would have been so much different just, the amount of, you know, celebrating we'd have and just, the, you know, just the pure glee, uh, excuse me, joy that we had just watching it, whether, no matter where we were, I mean, like being at home or being, you know, actually there like Danny was just you know, like, or two feet away from me, like you were Danny, honestly, or being in our dorm, just anything. Um, it was just remarkable, but I'll actually bring up one more moment that I, I'm not going to put on the same level as the Andreas note to play just because that's its own other ball game, but I will bring up, the winding moments of the Big East Championship when they beat Georgetown. And I remember it because I obviously was beer pointing that game and I was so like dumbfounded and just so I couldn't even string a sentence of how like amazing it was to just watch over TV and having you, Danny, actually be there. I'm sure you felt the same way. And I had to write a recap article in the next two hours to somehow sum it all up into like five or 500, 800 words. I just remember watching that. And I know for all of us, Obviously, before this season, that this this scene hall, you know, athletic program, we thought we were a basketball school. A lot of us came here for the men's basketball team. And by the end of it, by calling us, you know, a men's soccer school, and we've said that, and we probably will always say that until the team, men's basketball team gets better. But if this men's soccer team is like it is now going forward, we can always say that without any hesitation of how great, you know, this team was in the future, so bright for them. Um, 
But my last question, which is not as sentimental as we just had, it's just something that I just want to talk about just because we are still a, a media sports outlet and just something that we kind of have to hone in on. So obviously this last season was the team of destiny. It's been you know one of the best seasons they've ever had ever. And like we said, memories along the way. Let's just preview and one question for next year because most of the team is uh, coming back. The majority of it is. And, you know, the core is there. The coaching is there. They're one year, you know, out of this magical Cinderella run that they had. Um, I think it was just a Cinderella run at first in the Big East, the Big East tournament. And then once you got to the NCAA tournament, they were a perennial power at that point. So I will make that wording and that's distinction. But just guys, before, before we head out, what do you think this team will do next year? Will they, you know, advance further? Will you expect that they'll go unbeaten at home again? You know, we saw the schedule get released and obviously they're playing, you know, obviously some big, you know, big East schools, but I know they're playing, you know, some rivals. I think they're playing either Virginia Tech or Air Force again. They're playing teams that, you know, somehow magically scheduled teams that they beat in the NCAA tournament last year. And those games are going to be high emotion as well because those teams are going to be coming out guns a blazing, wanted to, you know, beat the Pirates and get the revenge and such. So just guys, real quick, what do you expect from this Pirates team next year? I think barring injury, this is going to be a magical year. And I think that they could actually repeat in the Big East. And I think that they could go on and win the NCAA tournament, barring injury. On paper, this team was absolutely outstanding. And it seemed like everyone that stepped up, stepped up at the right time when it was needed most. And they were blessed with not many injuries this past year. No one, none of their big players missed games at all. And the same can't be said about other teams from around the nation. So if Seton Hall is healthy, they have another year under their belt and every single player is returning from last year. You can't say that about most of the other big teams because a lot of the players are going into the MLS draft or like Georgetown, they, they lost a few players in the MLS draft and their best player, Jacob Montez, is now playing in the Premier League with Crystal Palace. So a lot of these players are moving on to bigger and better things, as you can say. But with Seton Hall, they said, all right, we're going for one last ride, one last dance, and we're going to see what can happen with everyone being one more year more established, one more year under the belt with Andreas Lindbergh as the head coach. I think the sky's the limit. And I can realistically seeing, I can realistically see Seton Hall winning that biggest championship and winning the NCAA soccer trophy if they are healthy. Yeah, I definitely agree with your points there, Jimmy. I mean, this season showed that it's no longer Georgetown and everyone else in the Big East realm for soccer. Seton Hall is right up there, if not favorited over them right now. So they showed that from a conference level and then national level. Obviously, there's going to be those strong programs that are there year in, year out. But this, with this year of experience, it really helps because like Seton Hall is an experienced but inexperienced postseason team, if that makes sense. So like they're older in terms of their grade level, but in terms of postseason experience, last year was they got thrown into it. And obviously their nerves and momentum and all that, that you really can't change during that run. The only thing you have to look at this year is like we kind of mentioned, more eyes are on them now. Like we say we are a soccer school. Now with COVID restrictions, obviously lessening, you're going to have more fans in the arena. So like you asked the question about oh, will they be undefeated at home again? You're going to have more people watching you. And also, it's almost like uh, Coach Willard's scheduling out here. He's, Andreas Lindbergh is testing his guys and really testing them with some strong out-of-conference opponents. That is not going to make this, like, year after the honeymoon phase easy. It's going to be tough on the guys. They're going to need to come work, and they're going to need to stay – they're very humble as a group and they're going to need to stay that way because they can't let their heads get too big. So we had good season. Like let's ride on that. It's right back to the drawing board and it's a new season. Everything's new, no more um, different like divisions and things due to COVID. And I think one of the biggest things now is this is a huge season in the program history too, because this is to show that last year necessarily wasn't a fluke or a Cinderella story, like you said, and show that this team is here to stay recruit top-notch players that are going to continue this success from years on from now. And with a lot of guys after this year, obviously graduating after this uh, extra year of eligibility that they're granted from COVID or just 
normal graduation. It's going to be big for the program to really establish themselves as one of these, one of these teams that's going to be in the NCAA tournament year in, year out, and really compete for the Big East title every single year. You guys couldn't have put it any better. And I just know both you guys brought up so many great points. But obviously, if the takeaway is, is if the, let's say, like I, you brought up Danny and I brought up the unbeaten at home thing. Would you rather them go unbeaten at home again and then lose in the Elite Eight again? Or would you rather them maybe they drop a few at home just because maybe the nerves will get them early on of being now a powerhouse in the Big East and going even further? I think, you know, the ends justify the means, so to say. And a big thing for this team next year, and I've seen it in other sports and obviously with this team especially, is that obviously they know what their end goals are of winning another Big East championship, you know, becoming a, a dynasty, a Big East dynasty, excuse me, and then going further in the NCAA tournament. But it's just taking one game at a time and not looking so far ahead and getting caught up in, like like you said, like the Kevin Willard-esque scheduling that they have early on playing against some, you know, perennial powers. Just taking one game at a time, one win at a time. And like you said, not letting them, you know, get almost get ahead of themselves and just, you know, resorting back to the team that they were last season of, okay, no one knew that we could do this, but we're, we're going to shock the world having that exact same mentality. And I think if they continue to have that, which like we have every, you know, I feel like all of us can agree. We have every, you know, confidence that amount of confidence that they will, because they're such a humble group of players and having, like we said, that Indiana team had a brotherhood as well, like for being for so many years and seeing Hall was able to, you know, garner this respect for, for their teammates and establish this core and brotherhood in just one season. Imagine after two years, what this team's going to be like with, you know, everyone coming back. So the sky is the limit. My prediction is I think they will go farther than the elite eight. I'm hoping that they'll win the national championship, but again, it's not the case to not to get it, you know, ahead of themselves, just taking one game at a time and just taking care of business when it matters. If they drop a few here and there, uh, excuse me, here and there, not panicking, where like, okay, like you're not gonna win every game. And I think you'd rather win the entire thing than go undefeated in the regular season and get bounced in the first round. I think it's just, you know, taking one game at a time and just sticking to the the the, the and Hall Pirate team they were last season. And I'm sure Coach Lindbergh will, you know, get them on the right path, you know, from start to finish. But that will wrap up this week's edition of Pirate Rewind. Once again, I am Jonathan Height, and I want to thank you guys, my amazing analysts of Jimmy Bliss and Danny Lemoyne for their time today as well as our producer behind the scenes, Joe, the Wincroft legend, Matthews, as well as our sports director, Heaven Hill, and assistant sports director, Jordan Mickens, for all their help as well. Thank you again for tuning in and continue to listen to all of our scheduled podcasts on WSU Sports each week and have a great rest of your day.